It's about the tools we use. It's about the stories we tell. It's about how we change. It's evolution, baby. Welcome back. I'm Jason Lang, and this is Do the Evolution, my podcast on all things filmmaking, technology, and transformation. This week, uh, I'm getting around to, at a more reasonable time this year than last year, um, going through my favorite films of the year. Oscars were just this past weekend, and finally had a chance to sit down and kind of look over my film log from last year and wanted to talk about uh, the films that really stood out to me and stayed with me from 2016 and why they were memorable. Now, first thing first, there was a lot I did not see. Um, 2016 was actually one of my busiest years with lots of traveling in a long time. And I saw far fewer films than I traditionally had been the years before. Um, a few that I just totally did not get to check out. Um, and there's probably even more that I'm not even remembering. But uh, Silence by Scorsese, The Red Turtle, Moana, Neon Demon, To Hell or High Water, and Hidden Figures were all ones that were on my list of like, oh, I would like to see those. But I just never got around to them. That said, let's jump right in. Um, and while these aren't in any particular order, this first one here I would say is probably overall my favorite film of last year. And the film that has stayed with me, the film that kind of checks most of the boxes for things I love, and that's Arrival. Arrival is one of uh, my favorite types of sci-fi in that it's a science fiction film that's less about the science fiction and more about exploring humanity. And in this film, um, I actually had the pleasure of seeing a Q&A with the screenwriter last fall, and one of the things he talked about is they took the script, which was based on a short story, to multiple studios over multiple years, and they all rejected it. And when you see the film, if you haven't already, definitely check it out, you'll see why. This is an alien invasion movie in which guns are not a thing. I think we barely even see a gun on screen. Pretty much every other major action or alien movie in our history has been about guns and violence. And this is a problem science fiction has had even in Star Trek, which is probably the most leading edge in terms of conceptually what they attempt to execute. Certainly the new rebooted films fall prey to it. The next generation was probably the least to fall prey to it. Uh, blessedly so, somewhat by the restrictions of the episodic television format, which they didn't have the budget for action scenes. But point being, we have these movies about science fiction and oftentimes alien cultures. And what they usually end up being, because of the necessity of having dramatic action on screen to sell tickets, is warlord cultures that just have inter interplanetary space travel. Uh, and in developmental theory, there's some very interesting complexities to that, where yes, it would be possible for a species that um, 
is centered around warrior consciousness or ethnocentrism and warrior culture and basically our race first, let's dominate everyone else. That kind of those two stages of development and that spectrum. Um, yes, it's possible they could steal someone else's technology and basically take that way of being to the entire universe, but it's also pretty unlikely um, that that would be the case for every single interaction with aliens, as is the case in most of our cinema. So what's so friggin' awesome about Arrival is it's about a culture of space beings, another race that has clearly evolved past warrior transgressions and ethnocentrism. So this is a movie that, as much as anything else, is about uh, communication. I mean, here we have a big-budget sci-fi movie with fantastic visuals, a top-tier cast, and it's really about language and how language and its construction can influence uh, how we see the world and our perceptions. And for those of us in the integral world space, obviously it's pretty cool to see an action movie that's about how the lower left might impact the other quadrants or our upper left in terms of our interior um, individual interiors and our attempt to communicate our interiors collectively. So our social interiors, which is kind of where language comes in and how that might actually change the nature of how we perceive the world. And I won't say anything more about that because this movie packs a quite a great and emotional punch. And a lot of it is uh, in the best way sourced in what they're discovering with the alien language an alien race and how that impacts the main characters and their dramatic arc. So Arrival, which um, I got to say, Denis Villeneuve, I don't know how to say it. Don't remember my French. Villeneuve, maybe. Um, he's two for two in my book. I hadn't seen his previous movie, Prisoners, and I think there was another one. Um, but Sicario last year, I just loved the tone, the control, the atmosphere, the just sheer beauty of the imagery. And he, he's done it again with Arrival. Um, I'm, I'm in on this guy whose next film is actually going to be the Blade Runner reboot sequel thing that everyone's trying to do. And based on these two movies, got to say, I'm pretty excited. This is the director that knows what's up and uh, yeah, has real skill. So Arrival, probably my favorite film last year. Up next would be Moonlight. Um, this was one I had heard about from, I think, Sundance or Buzz earlier in the year about its quality and was very excited to uh, check it out late last October after, of all things, a um, float tank experience. So it was primed and ready for something special. And Moonlight by Barry Jenkins is the best kind of low-budget indie in my mind. I think they shot this movie in 24 days. Uh, but it is just gorgeous. Everything about this film, they were firing on all cylinders. The direction is amazing. The script is amazing. The cinematography is just gorgeous. And the performances are just out of this world. All three phases of the main character's life. Um, little Shyrome and Black, as he's called in his different stages of life. All three of those actors, just incredible, just incredible. Such amazing casting, uh, really highlighting the importance of that. 
And what I loved about this movie as someone that's passionate about transformation and men's work in particular, meaning like the further evolving and maturation of masculinity in our culture is Moonlight just blew that wide open. Simply incredible to see a character like that wrestling with his sexual identity and really deeper than that, just his self-identity on screen. And the archetypes it opened up in terms of our culture, I think are pretty amazing. Now I'm a white guy, so I'm not obviously that deep into African-American culture, but I haven't seen this anywhere else on screen. Any um, representations like this in terms of flawed but caring uh, paternal figure in terms of the opening sequence and how someone can be doing less than stellar things in the world, but with like genuine connection, that can actually go a really long way in someone's life. And then obviously, particularly in the third phase of what does it mean to truly be tough as a masculine figure? And this, this word hard is used a lot in that third section in terms of, uh, the character Black has kind of hit the roughest point of his life where he's full on mostly in um, kind of warrior mode and he's armored. He's literally armored up and hard and his turn towards softness in that third act is just so achingly beautiful and so powerful and such a, I think, important um, world space that this film opens up in terms of like. Now, what's really, truly strong and truly brave, is it that armoring or is it when he unveils that and shows the softer sides underneath? Um, And what I really love about the way they did it in this movie is by introducing his hardness first. So his like kind of badass, you don't want to mess with this guy and he he could hurt you. Um, They introduce that first. So when that turn comes, which not to spoil things too much. Um, when that turn comes, I think what's so potent about that is you can't, it's much harder to use. If I imagine someone from kind of more a, um, less than friendly, someone coming from a less than friendly place towards, um, gay people or seeing a gay man on screen. What's great is there's no denying this guy is a just badass mofo by the time we see his soft sides. And so it creates an actual paradox, which I think is so great and so deep and so defining that, oh my God, maybe feelings aren't just for girly men, so to speak, because this guy, he's showing some feeling and I'm feeling his feelings and he's a badass motherfucker. So just mad props. So happy this ended up winning best picture. So encouraging um, in the sense of like indie film and its potential to tap into um, mass markets because this is the kind of movie that's really going to benefit from that Oscar win. I saw already this weekend it's opening up on I think something like 130 more screens. So please get everyone you know to go out and see this just gem of a beautiful movie, which has probably what's 
going to be one of the most memorable scenes of this decade, which is the swimming scene. I won't say anything more than that, but just everything about that scene and how it came together is really just truly something remarkable. Next up, uh, Jeff Nichols was back with two films this year, uh, Loving This Fall, which was thoroughly enjoyable and incredibly well made. And if I, th- I think, if anything, just suffered from um, when evolution works, it can kind of be boring. And that was a case in which, not that it was boring, but the system actually worked. Some things were put into motion. And uh, I think a lesser director would have tried to amp up the theatrics of that story. But Jeff Nichols widely or very um, smartly kept it contained just to the relationship of the main characters, which is truly beautiful. Very small scale, but really gorgeous. However, the movie of his that really stuck with me from this year was Midnight Special, which came out in the spring. And yet again, had the great Michael Shannon teaming up with Jeff Nichols in a sci-fi wonder film. Um, It didn't quite approach the miraculous levels of Take Shelter to me, but overall, Midnight Special was really great. This is the kind of movie I wish Spielberg was still making. Um, I really miss it. It's it's a movie for adults that is entertaining and wonderful and mystical. And hands down, has to have what is probably one of the best opening sequences, certainly of the year, if not the last decade. Uh, yeah, just the opening scenes of that movie, the momentum, the editing, the cinematography, just wow, what a power punch. Um, Joel Edgerton and Michael Shaden, both just fantastic actors working at the top of their game. Pretty much all the acting in this movie is through the roof. And again, another one of my favorite sci-fi f- films that's about a fantastic concept that's really used to explore the most um, basic things about being human. In this case, primarily the relationship of a mother and father to their son and what it means to let that son move on. Midnight special. Give it a whirl. Then, for some just utter pure joy, Sing Street. I didn't catch it till very late in the year. Um, Again, late October. Had been out for a while. Had heard good things. Just hadn't gotten around to watching it. Um, I loved Once, John Carney's first kind of breakout hit movie from, I don't know, 2007 or 2008. Never saw it begin again, which was his, um, I, I guess it just had mixed reviews, similar movie. But Sing Street, oh man, this was the kind of movie I was just laughing and smiling the entire time. The music is fantastic. The just characters, the boys are just amazing um, tapping in such a pure tapping into like adolescent energy of liking the girl and wanting to create something for the girl to impress her and what adolescent friendships are like, teenage friendships are like. And just again, um, something that I think once was really great at. And this movie too, just showing the joy of like creativity of how these little things get, um, sparked in us sometimes by seeing other art and, through collaboration, something beautiful is born. Now, the ending is a little over the top and crazy, I'll admit. I uh, definitely heard from some folks that they didn't like that. But it's fairy tale, and I love it. And I love it particularly when you imagine this actually is a prequel to Once, 
um, as he's running off to England with his girl. And once maybe is the many years later and the repercussions of that. Anyway, the music in this, uh, worth listening to just for its own right. And the fantastic kind of Uber music video, uh, moment is just, it's just hilarious. It's just beautiful. It's just so great. So yeah, drive it like you stole it. Sing street. Absolutely. Check it out. It's streaming on Netflix. Now watch it with loved ones. Watch it with your family. Watch it when you need a dose of cheer in this increasingly sullen world. Uh, next up in my kind of memorable favorite movies, you might be surprised, but yeah, it's big budget. It's Marvel. It's comic book. Captain America Civil War. Uh, we've, oh, I think we're we're approaching almost nine years, be a decade next year of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they've had some films certainly better than the others. And Captain America is pretty far down the road of their mainstream characters, but it worked for me. I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And the main reason I thought it was great was they wisely capitalized on the benefits of um, serialized storytelling and the fact they've built up so much character through these characters over the years. And they dropped one of the worst things that plagues um, comic book movies, which is problems with the villain. Um, generally, in comic book movies, first movies, more or less about the birth of the hero. And then to keep it interesting in sequels, it's almost often always more about the villain in the sequels. Now, Marvel's kind of sidestepped that by usually just having like almost paper thin, generic, totally pointless villains that they that it's almost so transparent. They're literally plot devices in all their movies. It's almost forgivable, but it still creates for really boring villains that are often totally unrelated to the central character's um, character arc and growth. Now, Civil War kind of messes some of that up. I mean, there is some character arc and growth. Uh, they totally pulled a rug out under it in some of the last scenes. I have no idea why. They could have left it in such a more interesting place. But what they did do right is they kept this small scale, no giant mega huge city battle at the end with rays and endless robots from the skies, which they've done plenty of. Um, they kept it really small and they kept it intimate and they did it by using one of the greatest dramatic devices. Now, you may argue whether or not they executed it as perfectly as they could have, but they pulled the string of one of the greatest dramatic devices in the world. And that's when you have two characters and they both are right. They both have something true and you can feel how they're both true. And what makes it heartbreaking when they come into conflict is there is literally no other choice. There is no other way it can go, but neither are exactly wrong. And that creates the paradox of like ultimate drama, I think, which they nailed in this. Um, some of those last scenes, obviously, if you haven't seen the film, I won't try not to spoil it too much, but you look at the poster and you see it's Iron Man on one side and Captain America on the other. And to see these two at each other's throats and understand um, why and how in some regards there's no other way out of it. Uh, it's great. It's it's heartbreaking. It's enthralling. And it's fun. It's just a fun, big, dumb summer movie. And 
I am not one of those people that hate summer movies. My greatest problem with summer movies is just that they're not better. If all summer movies were as generically good as Captain America Civil War, um, our culture would be in a much better place. So, yes, uh, Disney, again, the Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar, Triumvirate, they're just rocking out some quality entertainment at a pretty consistent pace at this point. So hats off to them. Finally, on my kind of top list uh, is La La Land. Now, I didn't love this as much as some people, but I did like it. Um, I found the music really engaging. Some of those songs just quite beautiful. Obviously, as a Los Angeles resident, uh, there's the sheer joy of just seeing my city on screen uh, in some very unexpected places, including the um, drive through dairy place that used to be a mile from my house up in the valley. I was not expecting that, but totally awesome moment on screen. And just seeing a traditional um, story form, in this case musicals, uh, re-expressed with more modern technology is great. I mean, the opening freeway sequence, that's just kick-ass. That is in some ways probably what so many people have wanted to execute with musicals forever. And finally, the tools and the technology of film are allowing that. Plus, this movie's, you know, it's about art. It's about the artistic dream of being in LA and the reality of how hard that is. And um, what really sold me on this movie was the end. I got to say the last sequence, the last song, the way everything played out, it did, it did hit me unexpected. They took, you know, they pivoted from that traditional fairy tale ending and just kind of tweaked it 35 degrees, but that 35 degrees matters. And that whole sequence had quite a punch for me about, um, how sometimes when life goes right, there's still loss and, there's still, um, what would be the word I'm looking for here? Nostalgia in a sense, but in a sense of, oh yeah, that was good times. Those were hard times. Didn't work out, but wow. Thank you for that. So, uh, yeah, yeah I am glad it didn't win best picture though. Um, I think it was a great film and deserved to be in the running, but Moonlight definitely far more important important to me cinematically and for our culture. Those are my faves. So now we go into honorable mentions, which are um, honorable mentions. It just means they didn't make the top of my list, but I enjoyed them for one reason or another. First up is Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, this is part of the New Zealand comedy crew that made um, Flight of the Concords. And the movie, uh, da, 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 da. where we are in the shadows, we're in the shadows. I can't, I can't remember, but it's great. You got to watch that as well. But Hunt for the Wilder People I had heard about was kind of funny. And what I just love about this movie is just oozes originality. Um, this is no paint by numbers story. It's hilarious. It's weird. It's a total mashup of cultures. And I, again, I was just entertained the entire time. I'm super excited that, um, for one, got to see Sam Neill back on the screen, who, you know, always is going to have a place in my heart because of uh, Jurassic Park, but he's just so freaking great in this as a crotchety old man. 
Oh man, watch it for him alone. And this director, you know, he he Tai Waikiki, I think is what you call him. Uh, Taika Waititi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but uh, it's the guy they gave. I believe they gave Thor to. Yeah, what we do in the shadows was his previous movie, and now he's going to have Thor Ragnarok, which is going to be the Thor Hulk team up. Which hey, I'm excited about that with uh, this guy's comic sensibility. Anyway, Hunt for the Wilder People again. I think it's on Netflix. Definitely when you need to laugh, just check it out. It's totally weird. It's totally fun, and uh, it's great. It was a great year for animated movies, some of which I didn't see, like Moana, I heard was amazing. Didn't see that. Um, Finding Dory was pretty solid. And uh, in this case, Zootopia kind of just rocked it. Zootopia really showing the power of them putting John Lasseter in the head of uh, Disney's story department. So this was a Disney 3D animated film, but it was not a Pixar film. But what's memorable about it to me is it was Pixar level quality. This is just a really solid story with really solid characters in a wonderfully inventive world. And the kind of message I think our world needs a little bit more of right now in terms of uh, the right kind of tolerance and the right kind of um, not judging people by their external appearances. Uh, Again, I just laughed. I enjoyed it. It was clever. Definitely check it out. Then there's... Well, it was kind of disappointing to me, but still good overall. Doctor Strange, I had super high hopes for this. And um, again, my biggest disappointment was just that it wasn't better. Like the visuals were great. I love seeing these mystical concepts of subtle energy bodies um, filtering into the mainstream. That's, it's great. It's fantastic. Uh, Visual effects, obviously just simply incredible. Benedict Cumberbatch, just awesome. However, it was kind of just, uh, this felt like the most paint-by-number script to me yet. The opening which just felt so rushed for me. And everything we learned about Doctor Strange, we were told. We didn't actually see. Oh, he's a jackass that doesn't care about people. Basically never saw any of that. We're just told that in like four minutes and then all this stuff happens. Uh, so it felt very, very rushed to me. And there was not a whole lot. I would have liked to see him failing more. I think that would have been a great tension for this film. Um, However, kind of my biggest gripe is, and you know, this was my problem, I think, with the second and third Matrixes, was they open up this whole mystical realm, and then they don't really do anything with it particularly interesting. And by that, I mean, Doctor Strange opened up subtle energy bodies and the way they used it on screen basically ended up being just another punchy movie, but with glowy things around your hands. So it was the same kind of punch, punch, uh, remove the glow. And it would have looked a lot like a Captain America movie. And that to me is a little disappointing. I do give them credit. And this is one of the reasons it's an honorable mention for trying to do a different type of ending instead of the typical world invasion stuff that happens in all these movies. And the concept of what they tried to do with how he beats Dormandu, I think that was the demon's name or whatever, is great. However, I actually think, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm a massive critic of his uh, run as showrunner of Doctor Who, I think Moffat did it better on Doctor Who with Peter Capaldi in, I think it was the Christmas episode, but that central um, concept of 
uh, suffering in time endlessly to defeat someone or something or save someone. Capaldi did it better. Moffat did it better. It 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 worked in Doctor Strange, but I guess to me, I was kind of just uh, spoiled by the fact that I'd already seen it, so it didn't quite feel as original as I would have hoped. Um, I mean, my favorite part of the movie, hands down, is the initial journey into kind of the astral realms when um, the Ancient One first touches and opens Doctor Strange's third eye. That was awesome. Give me more of that. Less punching, more of that. Please. However, excited he's joined the universe and think he'll be a worthy replacement for uh, Tony Stark, since he's basically the exact same character, personality-wise. Finally, honorable mentions, going to throw up Rogue One, which, man, I, you know, it was one of those movies I was really enjoying while I watched it, but then the moment I left the theater, I kind of had that sugar taste of like, wait, what did I just see? Visually, hands down, probably the prettiest um, and best looking Star Wars movie in the sense of not just like the impressiveness of the visual effects, but how real and lived in and organic they actually feel. Like this is a movie that seems to merge the best of practical and visual effects and make this universe feel like a place that is somewhere people actually live, which is amazing after that prequel kind of shiny, just uh, garbage, honestly, that Lucas put out. However, what kept Rogue One from really landing for me is just the plotting and the characters. The plot was like incredibly convoluted. I saw it with my family. And while they're not film goers in the best sense, the fact is they couldn't really track what the hell was going on, why they were flying around all these places, who these people were. And it was unnecessary. Um, hey, we need to steal the plans from for the Death Star. Like, keep it simple. That's all I needed. I think I was also disappointed because I hoped this would be more of a spy thriller infiltration movie. And it was kind of just yet again, another Star Wars third act space battle cross cutting with ground battle. Nothing new there. Damn well executed. Great ending. But um, just didn't add anything in that sense to me. And then the characters were just paper thin to me. Um, the most personality was the droid, the CG creation in terms of the lead character is Jin. Or no, I think that's Force Awakens. See, I don't even remember the ladies, the main character's uh, main name. That shows you how thin these characters were to me. Jin Erso? Maybe it was Jin Erso. I don't know. Yeah, it was Ray, Ray in Force Awakens and Jin Erso in this. And while I love the idea of the character, uh, tell me who she is and what she stands for. I have no flippin' idea. She's mostly just reacting to things that happened to her in this movie, and that's kind of disappointing. Uh, I love that they have another female protagonist. Love, love, love that. Did not love that she had so little character. Um, her pilot friend had so little character. I mean, what an interesting guy he could have been, an assassin like that. And that the side characters, um, Jedi Light, blind guy. Yeah, I loved his mantra and all that, but him and big gun guy. They were action figures that they put in the movie. You identify them by their stick and external attributes, not their internal attributes. And then, of course, as I ranted in the first episode of this podcast, uh, just the horrendous CG people. I know a lot of people don't notice it and they think it's fine, but Tarkin and Leia being done in CG, just no thank you. I noticed it every moment. 
It took me completely out of the movie. It added almost nothing that couldn't have been done with just a few subtle silhouettes and whatnot. So, yeah. I mean, entertaining overall. Nice to see Vader kick some kick some butt. Um, and oh my god, that's the other thing. Vader doesn't do puns. That was the worst pun ever. So out of character. Why did they leave that scene in? Please. Please. End of honorable mentions. Finally, flipping over to um, biggest disappointment of the year, which isn't that big a surprise, but man, I'd hoped this would be the one. Warcraft. No one has yet made a good video game inspired movie. Just hasn't happened. Seems like they're always just crap. But I thought this might be the one. Blizzard, the company that makes World of Warcraft, has like a 20-year history of lore in this series, in this world, and it's good lore. I played World of Warcraft for, I think, eight or nine months back in 2005, got a little addicted. It was a, It's a great universe full of many layered characters and um, species of elves and tarins and all kinds of things and fant- fantasy and sci-fi and kind of all blending together in great ways with great music and great scenery and a really tight visual language in terms of their own expressions of some of these archetypes of fantasy. And then it was tied with Duncan Jones who made Moon. Moon! And, um... Source Code, a very tight, taunt, sci-fi summer blockbuster of the best kind with a great score and great acting and a nice spin on the Groundhog Day um, story structure. So this guy, I love. I love this guy. He's a great director. He's doing interesting things. And I really hope he's able to make a film that um, represents his true skills again with Mute because Warcraft was just crap. Uh, visually it did not look good and the story was just an utter, uh, utter mess. Totally uninteresting, totally unengaging characters. Um, I had hoped this would be an avatar kind of visual spectacle and it wasn't, it was just not good. Don't even watch it. Just <sighs> leave it in the graveyard. Well, that's it for, um, my favorite films of 2016. I uh, haven't even been to the theater yet, I don't think, or maybe once or twice. haven't seen any movies of 2017 yet, um, only some backstock of 2016, but hoping uh, this year is a great one. Let me know what your favorite movies were in the comments or email me, and until next week, this is Jason Lang. shout out and thanks to Screaming Witness for the amazing intro and outro song. Check them out. <laughs>